ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Julie Thomas. The Bloomington Commission on Sustainability is organizing to provide feedback on the city's proposed transportation plan. In the commission's meeting last month, member Cynthia Bretheim said that the plan needs substantial reworking. There's so much that's not working with the transportation plan and the grids and some of the suggestions that they've made don't fit what the city's layout is. So it would be really hard to implement them or to okay it. Bretheim observed that in some instances, the city would have to tear down houses to accommodate proposed streets. She also took issue with some of the data used in the plan, including traffic counts and activity rates. The adult physical activity rates from the census tract, just, I'm sorry, but it looked like it was from the 60s when real estate agents were still redlining anything on the west side. It lists the whole west side as obese, inactive, and the whole east side as active and everybody's healthy, and I'm sorry, but that that's where we came from not very long ago. We had a real prejudice against the west side, and I think that that chart is not footnoted. We don't know where it came from. We don't know what year it's from, and it's just it either needs to be removed or give credible footnotes. I want to see the proof that that exists and otherwise remove it entirely. Commission member Aaron Hatch said some aspects of the proposed transportation plan conflict with the city's conservation ethos. One of the things is some of the proposed uh, road expansions contradict the Environmental Commission's uh, Bloomington Habitat Connectivities uh, report because they're proposed in some of their highlighted sensitive, environmentally sensitive areas. So it would be inserting, potentially inserting, uh, roadways into right now relatively undisturbed, undeveloped, and environmentally sensitive green spaces. Hatch and Commission member Pam Weaver discussed differences between the proposed transportation plan and transportation elements in the city's comprehensive master plan. I feel like they should actually expand a little bit of the discussion on, forget the word that they use, but basically like Uber and Lyft, mm -hmm. and how do you incorporate that into this sort of plan? Because um, they made a direct note saying these programs might lead to increased vehicle miles traveled and potential emissions, which is in direct contradiction to like some of the things in the CMP saying they want to reduce vehicle miles traveled mm -hmm. and emissions. And so how do you use this sort of plan to kind of balance out the need for increased accessibility to a reliable transportation while still meeting the CMP's goals? Yeah, because they flat out said that there had been a reduction in the use of public transit likely connected to increased use of things like Uber, which mm -hmm. is counter to climate preservation. The Bloomington City Council set a March 20th deadline for the public to propose amendments to the transportation plan. 
Bretheim said, not enough time has been given to review the 167-page plan and proposed changes. Interested commission members may form a subcommittee to review targeted items within the plan. Hatch said comments from the Sustainability Commission could carry more weight than those from an individual resident. In other development news, the Bloomington City Council heard an update on the Unified Development Ordinance during their meeting last week. The UDO, along with the city's comprehensive master plan, will guide growth in Bloomington for the next decade. The city has been holding periodic public input sessions since the UDO revision process began in February of 2018. Don Elliott is a principal with Clarion and Associates, the consulting firm the city hired to assist with the UDO update. We are a city of people with heart and vision that embrace eclecticism, diversity, and recognize that embracing change and inclusion are fundamental ingredients of our success. Elliott said the revised Unified Development Ordinance would treat student housing and affordable housing separately. He told Bloomington City Council the draft UDO defines student housing more clearly as multifamily buildings with four or more units. We still uh, have issues that need to, to be dealt with. Uh, my group has made a commitment to interrupt every session of city council until the mayor's administration uh, deals with this uh, military assault vehicle the way that we would have liked for it to initially be done. I'm sorry for those of you who will be upset by that, but uh, this is how the democratic process does work. It's a back and forth. Clarion and Associates is also proposing the creation of a new mixed-use student housing district with no height restriction. As for affordable housing, the consultancy proposes another new housing district that allows for smaller lot sizes and removes the acreage limits for accessory dwelling units. Planning Director Terry Porter said her team understands this most recent version of the Unified Development Ordinance will not be perfect, but says she's encouraging Bloomington residents to provide input through the end of April. A final UDO draft will have to be approved by the Bloomington Plan Commission and the City Council. The Unified Development Ordinance can be found online at the city's website, bloomington.in.gov. A federal judge in Alaska ruled on Friday that President Trump exceeded presidential authority when he signed an executive order to allow offshore drilling in the Arctic Ocean and areas of the Atlantic. The decision by Judge Sharon Gleason of the United States District Court for the District of Alaska concluded that President Barack Obama's withdrawal from drilling of about 120 million acres of Arctic Ocean and about 4 million acres in the Atlantic will remain. The areas in the Atlantic are between Norfolk, Virginia and the Canadian border. Judge Gleason wrote that an executive order by Mr. Trump revoking the drilling ban is unlawful as it exceeded the president's authority. Six U.S. banks are the world's largest funders of fossil fuels. They are J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Citibank, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley, according to a recent report called Banking on Climate Change, Fossil Fuel Finance Report Card 2019. Together, these six banks account for 37% of global banks' fossil fuel financing. Meanwhile, 
In October, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change declared that the world has 12 years to drastically cut carbon dioxide emissions if we are to avoid climate disaster. Globally, banks based in Canada, China, Europe, Japan, and the U.S. have put $1.9 trillion into fossil fuels since 2016, and their financing of fossil fuels is on the rise. Banks finance energy in the form of tar sands oil, Arctic oil and gas, ultra-deep water oil and gas, fracked oil and gas, liquefied natural gas, coal mining, and coal burning. Human overpopulation is threatening iconic animals in the Maasai Mara in Kenya and Serengeti in Tanzania. Wildebeest, zebra, and gazelles struggle to survive habitat loss around these national parks. Scientists looked at 40 years of data and found that some boundary areas have seen a 400% increase in human population over the past decade. At the same time, Larger wildlife species in key areas of Kenya have declined by more than 75%. Population growth and an influx of livestock in park buffer zones is believed to have squeezed the area available for migration. As a result, animals graze on less nutritious grasses than they did in the past. The article was published in the journal Science. The study was led by the University of Groningen in Holland with collaborators at 11 institutions around the world. For WFHB, I'm Julie Thomas. And I'm Juliana Daly. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd near College Mall, West 6th near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Hello everybody, I'm Julie Daly and I am sitting here with Julie Thomas and uh, she um, is a big sustaining donor uh, for uh, WFHB and um, she would like to talk to you a little bit by, because of her um, dedication to the, uh, the radio station and I'm going to let her talk to you a little bit about why she supports the radio station and hope you will too. Yes, I have uh, always loved democracy now. I think that's what brought me to WFHB in the first place. But Eco Report has become one of my favorites. And so it's a real pleasure to be able to sit in uh, this week and work with you, Juliana. Um, what I like about Eco Report is that we have a lot of news stories that revolve around climate change and nature and our man's impact on nature. But it always comes as an afterthought to another news story. But here on Eco Report, it's the purpose. It's the focus. Um, one of my favorite shows is Get Out and Hike. Uh, because it's, a, I, it's yeah, well done. It is so well done. <laughs> and I so enjoy hearing about new places to walk, um, especially because I like taking my dog Ollie out for, for walks often. And 
it's it's really great. You feel like you're on the trail um, with the person who's talking about it, which is so fantastic. Jan Walker's the, a lady who does that. She's uh, one of the our people here that helps put the script together, and uh, she came up with the idea and started running with it. And I think it's a wonderful episode. I like to hear about all the preserves. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so many places that, that um, residents don't really know about. And we do, we do uh, send our signal to five counties. And so that gives us even more opportunity to, um, to think about other places to go and hike and see some new surroundings and, and uh, enjoy some new wildlife. Absolutely. Especially those people down in um, Lawrence County, we'd love to hear from you. Um, don't forget, our phone number is 812-323-1200. And if you can't get to a phone, we'd love for you to get online and go to wfhb.org and hit that red button because we could sure use your support. Uh, what are some of the, have you ever been over to any of the preserves? Have you been to any? Absolutely. Griffey is one of my favorites. It's absolutely fabulous. Very good. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Uh, don't forget. Don't forget to call 812-323-1200. We would love to hear from our friends in Brown County. We'd love to hear from our friends in Morgan County and our friends in Owen County and people right here in Bloomington. Come on, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we've got a lovely lady sitting out front right now waiting for your phone call. Absolutely. <laughs> so in this week's uh, feature, we're going to uh, hear from WFHB's Norm Holy as he discusses Lake Lemon's bird population with a local bird expert. This is Norm Holy for WFHB, and today my guest needs no introduction because I think he's really very widely known in the area as one of the principal birders, and, and it's uh, Professor Jim Hingevolt of IU Biology. He and his wife have lived out at Lake Lemon for some time, They've been doing a bird count. How long have you been doing the bird count? So we moved to Lake Lemon in 1996. Been keeping track of the the birds um, ever since then. Uh, we live on the East End, and uh, so we have pretty detailed records for the East End, but also go to the other side of the lake as well. Can you see so many birds from your deck? Besides aquatic species that we can see from our deck, we have a lot of bird feeders right in our front yard adjacent to the lake, and we have a lot of species that are coming to the bird feeders. In addition, trees in our yard. We have a couple of pretty tall oak trees, and the trees attract quite a few migrants during both spring and fall migration. So we get migrants and we get residents coming to the feeders and uh, all of the aquatic species that we can see at the east end of the lake from our from our deck. So it's. Uh, I'm not sure where the eagle's nest is. On uh, can you see it from your house? We used to be able to see it when they were building closer to the lake. They had a nest just a little ways south of South Shore Drive at the east end that we could see from our deck. Um, since then, that's, it's been probably 10 years since they had that nest there, and then they moved the nest up farther south on County Line Road, and we could see the nest from County Line Road, but they are no longer in that location either. We suspect they've actually moved to the north side of the lake, so we, we haven't seen the, the nest in a couple of years. Now, how long has this pair been uh, raising broods there? 
since we've been here, the actual members of the pair have changed to at least one of the members of the pair has died and been replaced, maybe even both members of the pair. But there, there has been a pair of bald eagles nesting somewhere at the east end of, of Lake Lemon for, for quite a few years. Very interested in your observation over the course of years. Have you seen changes in the species and or numbers or both? The biggest changes we've seen are, are the changes associated with the lake itself, with the age of the lake, with uh, the inflow from Bean Blossom Creek. There's just naturally a lot of uh, siltation and, and that Siltation has led to a lessening of the, the water depth, especially at the east end of the lake. And when you have shallower waters, that means there's likely going to be more emergent vegetation. The east end is a lot different from when we first moved here. There's Now there's currently a, a huge island at the east end of the lake that has basically willows growing on it. There's a lot more emergent vegetation. There are a couple of stands of cattails that didn't used to be here. There's a huge um, patch of American lotus that grows up every year. Plus, there's a lot of submerged aquatic vegetation as well. When we first got here, there, there were mud flats that would appear every fall and we'd get good numbers of shorebird every fall and we just don't get that like we used to so the east end is not as suitable for shorebirds as as it used to be that's probably the biggest change that we've um, seen is is the changes to the lake itself and the the habitats um, that result as the from those changes to the lake so I'm curious because the policy used to be that they would drop the lake in the winter, and they've stopped that now. So uh, would there be sufficient mudflats if they dropped the level of the lake um, during the winter? Um, no, they were still doing that when the, when there were, were already a lot of big changes going on in the lake. I, I don't think that has much impact on, on uh, the aging of the lake. There were still lotus. Uh, that were coming up every year, even when they were were drawing down the lake uh, during the winter. The other aquatic vegetation was was increasing, and the cattails were um, were growing. And so, I don't I don't think that's had a big impact on the changes, actual changes to the lake. Have you seen what unusual birds have you seen over the course of the years? We've had quite a few. Um, unusual birds over the years. We've had Ross's goose a couple of times. Uh, we've had whooping crane uh, once. Uh, we had a, an ibis, probably a glossy ibis, uh, one time. We've had all three scoter species, Iceland gull, uh, Sabin's gull. We've had yellow-headed blackbird a few times. Yeah, those are some of the ones that uh, come to mind anyway. Are we ever likely to have osprey at the lake? We see osprey every year. To nesting, I suspect so. Um, They nest pretty commonly in in other areas of the state, particularly Patoka Lake, and I suspect they will soon be nesting on Lake Monroe and, and probably Lake Lemon too. Adequate habitat for them to create a nest? 
I, I would think so. I mean, basically, they need um, tall trees in which to build a nest and, and uh, good fishing, and both of those are uh, available on Lake Lemon. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they haven't nested here already. Uh, I, I, I really don't know they do nest uh, so commonly on, on Patoka. Now, a lot of people are interested in uh, Baltimore Orioles. How do people attract Baltimore Orioles to their feeders? The biggest thing is for there to be nesting habitat before they will come to people's feeders, and they typically nest in large sycamores or, or other lakeside or, or riverside trees. So the, the nesting habitat is the, is the most critical thing. Uh, beyond that, they'll sometimes come to hummingbird feeders. Sometimes they'll come to fruit feeders, like if you put out oranges, sometimes they'll come to, to the oranges. But, um, yeah, they have to be nesting in the area before they'll come to the feeders. I'd like to thank you very much for the interview, and I know our listeners will be fascinated. Thank you very much. Yep. You're welcome. Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. Give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And there are so many great things that happen at this radio station, um, and that's why we're supporters, aren't we, Juliana? Oh, absolutely. I'm a sustaining donor as well. So That's excellent. <laughs> so we're about halfway through our fund drive and only about a third of the way to our goal. Um, and what I love about WFHB is the 28 news and public affairs shows that are hosted on this station, and that 1,500 original programs are produced it's every <laughs> single year. That is an amazing number. And um, how did you get started here at WFHB? Well, that's a really actually great story, and it's amusing at the same time. I am a member of the Sierra Club, and it's about two years, maybe a little longer, uh, there was this appeal that came out on um, Facebook, on my Sierra Club um, uh, page, and they, they were asking for people to volunteer for Eco Report. So I came down here and walked in the door and said, I'm here to volunteer for Eco Report. <laughs> and uh, there was a lady that was working here that's no longer with us, and she looked at me and she goes, here, you can go right in and start working on it right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fortunately, there was another person standing there and said, no, 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 she needs to be trained first. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's how I got started. And I have to admit, the people here that are in charge are absolutely wonderful at teaching you how to do things. Um, I didn't know, you know, how to do what I'm doing right now. And, and uh, another person taught me how to do interviews. Uh, and I had the most exceptional experience by going down to Lake Patoka 
to do an interview down there because I kept hearing this crazy story that Potoka Lake had jellyfish in it. And I thought it was, you know, just some sort of rumor. And come to find out, Potoka Lake does have freshwater jellyfish in it. So that's something that you can go down there and see. <laughs> that so. is so neat. I didn't know about that. <laughs> I know. That is so neat. And, you know, um, there are so many ways and so many reasons that people support WFHB. And, and if you're one of our supporters in one of the five counties, um, for our friends in Bedford, for our friends in Owen County, for our friends in Brown County, uh, please give us a call. Talk to Nan. She's, she's ready to talk to you at 812-323-1200. And you can always go online, look for the big red box, and um, make uh, your pledge uh, to WFHB at WFHB.org. We'd like to make a big shout out to Mother Bear's Pizza. Hooray, hooray, hooray. We absolutely love you. Thank you so much for providing the food for our volunteers. Uh, we really do appreciate uh, the support that you have given us. Uh, let's see. What else can we talk about? You got something good to tell everybody? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that uh, we are doing we're we're um, we're doing so many great things on Eco Report, and it's exciting, and it's an exciting time for our board of directors. But you've mentioned how you got involved, and people can get involved, and people can people can play a role in their community here at WFHB, and that that's what makes community radio so special. This week in our listening area, the Monroe County Master Gardeners will host their garden fair on Saturday, April 6th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Indiana National Guard Armory. The armory is located at 3380 South Walnut Street in Bloomington. Over 40 vendors of lawn and garden products and services will be available, as well as some educational programs. For more information, visit mcmga.net. There is an Invasive Control Workday this Saturday, April 6th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Meet at the Lower Cascades Park in the Sycamore Shelter to learn how to identify and control garlic mustard and Asian honeysuckle bush. Wear long pants, long sleeves, and closed-toed shoes and bring plenty of water to drink. Register by contacting Joanna Sparks at spark at bloomington.in.gov or call 812-349-3497. And learn how to identify vitamin-rich shoots, leafy greens, and tasty flowers at the Identifying Wild Edibles program. It will be at the RCA Community Park on Sunday, April 7th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Please wear comfortable shoes and bring a water bottle for a leisurely hike around the park. You can register at bloomington.in.gov parks. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Linda Green, Norm Holy, Sarah Vaughn, and Wes Martin. 
Today's feature was produced by Norm Holy and edited by Jan Walker. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Kirsten Payton engineered today's show. The script was edited by Andrew Brown and Kaylin Brower. Jan Walker is our producer. Executive producer is Wes Martin. Tune in on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. You can also access news, feature audio, in nature, and get out and hike episodes anytime at wfhb.org. For WFHB, I'm Julie Thomas. And I'm Juliana Daly. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.